You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lord. Everybody and welcome to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 60, Power of the Daleks Official Reconstruction. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. I am not your servant. But I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Paul, um... We got some exciting stuff going on this episode, and we're not alone, right? No. We have the folks from Examining the Doctor, uh, part of the Geekville uh, podcast network, um, Seth and Mark on with us. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Hello, it's good to talk to you guys. I've listened to a few of your shows, and uh, it's nice to kind of have be uh, crossing our time streams here. I even brought my sonic screwdriver. Your sonic screwdriver? I thought that was your whisk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I'm Mark, and I, as you can probably tell from my crazy voice, I'm from England originally. Yes, yeah, so we're finally getting some some UK cred on on our little American Doctor Who podcast. Only a little bit. You can only have a little bit. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> so, so gentlemen. Uh, Quickly, before we, we jump into what our, our topic today is, can you just give our listeners uh, an idea of, of what examining the doctor is, just uh, in case they've not heard of you? Well, what we do the main mainly is we provide episode commentaries. We will watch an episode and just kind of give background um, and it, I kind of look into it as a little bit Wikipedia and a little bit Mr. Science mm. Theater because Mark here has over 30 years experience as a Doctor Who fan. He grew up in England uh, watching the original stuff. So you're saying I'm old then? Well, I think we're both old. But he's got these decades of experience as a Doctor Who fan, and I'll let him speak for himself as far as the, the stuff he's done for Doctor Who. But he has all this knowledge, and I just tell the jokes. <laughs> well, I've been uh, a Doctor Who fan since, you know, Oh my goodness me, 1976, 77, 
and uh, I did my first fanzine called Ice World at 16. Um, I did a lot of conventions in England with uh, all of the main cast and many who have now even since passed on, like Nick Courtney in the early 90s, and uh, worked on the More Than 30 Years in the TARDIS documentary. We provided the TARDIS console room for that, and the BBC provided the console. And then um, that console room now, I believe, is at the Langoughlin Wales exhibition, because I've been you know, out of England now since 1995, and I live here in the States now permanently. But um, never gave up on Doctor Who, always knew it would be back. And, and of course, uh, when Seth asked me to contribute my long knowledge of the show, I was only too pleased to. Very, very cool. Uh, it, it, I, I'm feeling a little bit inferior here, since my, yeah, my Doctor Who it. fandom is, is only uh, you know, four years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but it, it's definitely my favorite TV show of all time. Um, and the only thing that beats it for me as far as my geekdom is Star Wars, but that's because that's been with me longer. But I will not get into that. Doctor Who, however... <laughs> um, is, is what we're here to discuss. And, and Paul, what exactly are we discussing today? Uh, we're discussing the animated version, the brand new animated version of Power of the Daleks. Uh, two, actually, two different versions, a black and white version and a color version. Um, we'll probably get into both of those. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, an official reconstruction as opposed to the reconstruction that we went over on our last uh, uh, delve into this episode or story arc. And... Um, I hope that it is a lead-in to seeing more reconstructions in the future, just to be honest. I completely agree with that. Uh, gentlemen, hey, I, have you reviewed or discussed any of the, the previously uh, animated episodes at all um, in your, your discussions? No, we, we tend to do stuff that is readily available. Like okay. you can go to, you can just get it on Amazon or buy the DVD at your local store or something like that. Because uh, we, we want people to be able to, if they don't have uh, possession of the episode, it's easy for them to find it. And, of course, naturally we do not condone going and grabbing something off the internet, you know. Sure. Even though it's it's easy to do, right. we're capitalists, you know. We, 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 we want, if people like Doctor Who, we want them to be able to watch the shows legally when, when to, to hear us joke about them. Exactly. So, Mark, then, uh, since you have over 30 years of Doctor Who fandom experience. Did, and you said you've been a fan since 66 or 67. Did you see Power of the Daleks when it was first aired? Well, actually, no, 76. Oh, 76, so I'm sorry. I had I... Missed, I'd missed it the first time around. The first time I'd even heard of it, because there was no novelization, which I collected, you know, all the Target books, was in Doctor Who magazine when they would do the John Cura telesnap um, reconstructions in Doctor Who Monthly where you could look at the picture and then it would give you a little description of what was happening in the story. And then around about the same time in the 1983-84, we found out that a lot of people had recorded the episode on audio and people within fan groups would swap those audio recordings. Just like the videos, you know, some people would have really good quality audio recordings and some of them would be really poor because they've been recorded between different people. And then back then, you know, audio wasn't as good as it is today. It was all done tape to tape. So we had no idea flashing forward, you know, 20, 30 years that then there would be CGI animation putting this stuff all together. We were very, um, you know, we, it was very basic back then. Right. And I guess to, to just sort of 
kick off this discussion then uh i want to get everybody's general thoughts on on what they saw when when power of the daleks hit well first of all did you guys did you watch it on bbc america uh week to week or were you able to go to the the theater screening that that they had with through fathom events i did actually do the tv screening or the, the movie screening I then, when it was available, just purchased the season on Amazon streaming, and that, that's how we watch it when we do the commentaries. Uh, and if you did the, if you bought the season, which I think was, I think it's twenty bucks on Amazon, you get both versions. You get the, you get the black and white and the color. Very nice. And I just watched it really live here for the first time, so my thoughts and feelings are really on the recording because I'm seeing it. And, and even, you know, because I don't really remember the story that well, I'm even kind of learning the story brand new and all those thoughts and feelings are going directly onto the podcast. And I thought that was kind of cool. Paul, how, how have you been able to see it? Uh, DVR from BBC America. Um, the nice thing about it, though, and uh, at the time we recorded our, our last podcast, this was not something that was made available. They made the color versions available on Christmas Day. All six in a row um, as a, a binge broadcast, basically. Okay. And uh, so uh, I was able to see it in black and white and then turn around and, and watch it, uh, at least for the most part, in color um, before we sat down to record. Uh, so it was a, kind of a different experience seeing it both ways, you know. Yeah. I was able to go to the theater screening. Um, there, there's a theater here in Tucson that I've actually gone to see several of the the doctor theater screenings um at and so when i had the opportunity to go that do that i definitely jumped on it um and then i've been able to uh watch bits and pieces of the the color version here recently on the the bbc america app um if you've got the you know cable service that bbc america is on you can log into that and then you can um both black and white and color versions are available on uh, the bbc america app as well so that's another way uh people can can locate that if they so choose um but i want to get everybody's first initial impressions of you know we've talked about the the story before on this show so this is gonna be more um i want to focus this more on the, the technical aspects a little bit um first uh of this i want to get everybody's thoughts on on initial thoughts on what they thought of the the animation and how well or not um, they think this was pulled off. Seth? Well, uh, overall, I was happy with it. I mean, granted, the animation does take some getting used to, uh, but I'm happy with it because I'd rather have an animated adaption that looked like this than no adaption at all. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it, this is also, could be a budget issue. This is the first time they've done this. And obviously, when you're doing something for the first time, you have to plan on it failing. So maybe they didn't want to put too much into it in case it didn't catch on. That's just my opinion. I can't prove that. It's just just what I think. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with Seth on that one. I think that it does look a little creaky and rough around the edges. And it's weird because the Dalek part of it looks fantastic. It's just the humans and the way that... I don't mind the head bobs um, during conversations. It's when they sway the entire body back and forward. I'd rather just the characters were static. But they've done a really good job interpreting the original photographs into a moving form. Um, I thought the black and white looked really good. The color really pops. Um, and it is better to have a visual medium of any kind. And, and the budget on this was tiny, you're right. 
but you know hopefully that enough people have seen it i mean actually i'll take that back it's completely crazy to think that the bbc wouldn't put a little bit more money into this because you know pretty much every doctor who fan i know either bought this or or uh, saw it somehow and i'm sure the fathom events thing was pretty popular was that yeah. more than half full when you were there i would say about that yeah yeah so now it's it's a it's a win. You got I, I'm I'm very much a glass half empty, unfortunately, guy. But from <laughs> what um, what the general uh, public have said about it and the fans have said, uh, I think they've done a, a good all round job. Paul, I like the way that <clears throat> the visuals looked as far as the style of of the people's faces, uh, things like that. I thought the Daleks were fantastic. Um, I like the way that the this, this digital sets and everything looked, uh, the external shots, all of that, I thought looked really good. The thing that I had the biggest issue with, I think, was some of the movement of the people. Um, like, the walking animation sometimes looked a little wonky, and, um, uh, you know, like, when they would turn their heads from one position to the other, you would actually see it, you know, kind of, almost as if you were clicking a knob. Um, you know, it would it wasn't fluid. Um, and, and I... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done with the the visuals. I just the, some of the movements just kind of took me out of it a little bit. Um, I, I will say that um, I got a lot more enjoyment watching it in color than I did in black and white. Okay, uh, I. I just like having, really, just like having this in a in a visual, uh, moving medium. So, it, and I've got a couple of other classic Doctor Who DVDs that have you know one or two episodes that are animated. So I guess I probably am a little bit more accustomed to some of these things. Uh, and and this animation was at the very least on par with those, but probably a little bit better uh, than those, uh, since it is the, the entire story is animated this time. I probably wanted to put a little bit more into it. Uh, definitely, I would say the the sets and the Daleks jumped out as being very, very good uh, to me. The The human animations are pretty good. The Doctor is pretty good. Um, I did have a little bit of an issue with Ben. He just didn't look quite right to me. Um, and when you went to the Fathom Events screening, there was uh, a one or two, like, documentary special features uh, sort of things at the at the end of it that you could uh, stick around and watch and they even admitted that Ben was the, the hardest design to really nail down and um, I, I don't think it quite worked for me uh, but yeah overall I'd say I, I think it, it worked pretty good to me um, I will agree the movements are a bit jerky sometimes and but I'll take what I can get and if this is what we're going to get, um, if this is what we get moving forward and they want to do this for, for more lost stories, I will wholeheartedly say yes and uh, spend my hard-earned dollars on buying it. So, And the, <laughs> the DVD and Blu-ray comes out in the United States here January 24th, and I will be first in line to go buy it. <laughs> yeah, if we can get Marco Polo next, I'd, I'd be very happy. Yeah, right. I, I There's so many of these things that I would love to see them go back and, and remake. Uh just so I can, you know, I'm a bit of an obsessive collector when it comes to the Doctor Who DVDs. <laughs> just, I've got just a, a shelf. <laughs> I've got a shelf devoted entirely to Doctor Who DVDs, and there are some uh, holes there that I need filled. So, uh, 
Well, a little bit off topic, but one of the okay. things that me and Seth discussed, there's a voracious appetite amongst Doctor Who fans for content. And let's face it, with TV today, nearly 449 new TV shows, actually, including the old TV shows across the spectrum from terrestrial to satellite and everything else, you've got an awesome opportunity here to do what I think they did really well with that William Hartnell story, the time and space thing. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. where it was basically the story of the origin of of, of Doctor Who, with David Bradley playing William Hartnell. They proved with that to me, with the reconstructions and with the filtering and everything, that there is a, a great ability to go back and remake these stories on a tiny budget, almost exactly the same but with a different cast and i think rather than concentrate on the animation i well you know they can continue doing that but i think they should seriously consider um at first i thought well let's use paul mcgann and let's like remake these stories with him and i thought well, why do that when you've got brilliant actors out there who can recreate these characters and um the bbc of course is one of the or has always been one of the best production places in the world when it comes to television, especially in costumes and props and and sound and music. Why not go and remake these episodes again for the fans? And I think that would be more where I would rather see them putting the money into it because it just wouldn't be that expensive. And I think they would sell... Everybody who was a Doctor Who fan would buy that DVD. There's just no doubt in my mind. We'd all buy it. I'll just add in that when I saw that uh, Adventure in Time and Space... I wanted to see some of these Hartnell stories remade with the cast that they had playing the actors. I think that would have been a, a, a wonderful spinoff. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think a lot of the times it's just that there is no... Um, there's almost like nobody at the BBC who gets it. They're all monetary people. <laughs> They're all people... You know, I mean, Moffat is busy. He's got Sherlock. He's doing Doctor Who. It just takes, you know, some special guy to go in there. And, and, and you know, the BBC's not stupid. All throughout the years that I was a Doctor Who fan, they knew they had a cash cow. They knew what they had. They just didn't always know how to use it. And the BBC had several elements at the top who were in their 60s and 70s, even back in the 90s. And they didn't like Doctor Who. It wasn't their thing. They'd rather put the money into Spanish soap operas like El Dorado, which was the reason that Colin Baker got taken off the air, and Sylvester McCoy. Um, So now I think there's a younger 40, 50-year-old group at the BBC and I, I, I think if you give them the right project then this is this would be definitely one that I mean if, if we can't do it because obviously as Axanar that Star Trek thing has proven you can't take someone else's IP and put it on Kickstarter and, and remake you know someone else's TV show but mm-hmm. if you could Kickstarter would be the place to do this because for $100,000, you could remake an entire 90-minute 90, 90 Doctor episode, sell off all the props, sell off all the costumes, and, you know... But we can't do that, because it's, you know, owned by the BBC, and I, I, for one, am a huge fan of respecting people's IP. But someone, one day, will get this through their 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 heads, because they can be a bit stupid at the BBC sometimes. The money's right in front of them, they just don't see it. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing... And I, I would... I would be definitely for um for any sort of reconstruction of, of these sort of things the only thing i'm i'm the devil's advocate position here that i'm going to take though is, is uh you know i don't want to replace you know the other doctors i don't want to replace hartnell i don't want to replace patrick troughton you know i I'd, I'd love to to have 
you know, their performance in these these reconstruct, uh, reconstructions. And we get that somewhat uh, with Power of the Daleks because we have all the audio from from the uh, the original uh, broadcast. And so we get their, their vocal performances in here. And so the only thing I would uh, be a little bit disappointed about uh, if we had the, uh, you know, a recasted uh, reconstruction is that we wouldn't have the performance of, of the original actors. Now, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a devil's advocate position there because I would totally buy a fully cast <laughs> reconstruction. Um, but, you know, that, that, is, that is the other side of that issue is, is you, you don't have the uh, the performance of the original actors there. Sure, I, to- I totally agree with that. It's just, um, you know, in a perfect world, we get both. You know, right. that we could have these animations and then we, you know, we could have the uh, the recast ones. But I I think that we live in an age now where there's just a voracious appetite for anything. And I still can't believe that a number of years ago, of course, you know, we had that whole year when there was no Doctor Who fairly recently. Uh-huh. And it just blew my mind then that, you know, um, there's not more of an attempt to keep the money flowing in. Because obviously the amount of interest during that year when Doctor Who was off the air, which was, I think, last year, wasn't it? Uh-huh. I mean, there was a massive um, drop-off with Doctor Who magazine, I know, in England with the readership. So you do have to keep this treadmill going. You have to keep it moving forward. And another of those ideas, of course, was to do the McGann seasons. You know, retroactively bring those back. McGann wants to do it. The fans want him to do it. Um, I bet you the BBC tax man sitting at his desk <laughs> is, like, signing off on that one. And I just feel that Stephen, you know, I love I love Moffat. He's a true fan. I, I, I have some harsh things to say about him on the episodes, but at the end of the day, I know he's with us, but he's got too much on his plate. And almost, you almost need like another guy that can go in there and like take care of the day-to-day business of Doctor Who and, and, and really making it into this even bigger brand than it is. Because with the amount of people watching it in the US with the Christmas special, you know, it was really way up. And yet in England, the numbers were, were down. So it does show that, you know, new markets are pushing it forward. And you got to be careful in England because there's a certain, I think, oh, well, Doctor Who is back and we're not as excited about it as we used to be. Whereas in America, people are really excited about Doctor Who and I think that's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm totally in that, that camp there. Uh, I, I will devour any new Doctor Who that you give me. And <laughs> even old Doctor Who, I'm, I'm getting really frustrated with some of the, the DVD sales out here because I'm seeing the same things on the shelves over and over again that I already have and I can't get specific episodes um you know legally if i you know because i want to do that and i think that's one of the things that frustrates me is the fact that they're not making this stuff available but then they don't want people to bootleg it you know if you don't want people to bootleg it make it available so people can buy it you know yeah there's, there's i couldn't episodes, agree more there's episodes out there like you know the the two doctors with colin baker and, and patrick troughton um that i would love to purchase the dvd for but i can't find it anywhere um you know, to, to purchase for less than a hundred dollars. I remember online. when, you know, people were complaining about Game of Thrones being on later than the episode, so people were forced to go and, you know, download it, etc. And I certainly know that Doctor Who used to be in that wagon and then they made it pretty much, you know, day and date to be able to watch it. 
and that does show that they're listening but i i sometimes just want to rattle the heads of these people in charge <laughs> of these corporations because they literally are letting the money almost like sand through your fingers the money is like literally flowing out the bottom and as a fan you know you want to help that organization capture that money because the more money they make theoretically the more they will understand that we want more but i i as i said i just don't think sometimes these companies get it that they could make you know not only could they be making the the um, again episodes in the year and show those in february but they could be making the new doctor you know for the end of the year there's 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 oh, more than enough that. people who want it <laughs> so it doesn't make sense you know it never makes sense to me why they don't make the most of the fact that we're all got our wallets out for them yeah right? i would i would be a huge advocate for seeing the mcgann seasons uh, I think that that would be fantastic to see that. Yeah, yeah. A McGann Time War uh, season. Uh, you could even this may be wishful thinking, but some one-off specials, ninety-minute, two-hour specials. Bring David Tennant or Matt Smith back. You know, just, just, just do a one-shot. Maybe bring a, uh, you know, uh, John Hurt back to do a couple of War Doctor specials. Maybe. You know, yeah, I'd that be would okay be great during the Time War. So see, here's I, the thing that people don't think. In 1989, they took the Sylvester McCoy era off the air. So around about 91, 92, I started investigating, you know, actually basically doing what Axanar did on v on VHS video, which was making small 30-minute Doctor Who episodes. And I sat around a writer's table with people, and we had such amazingly crazy ideas, like bringing back Absalom, Dak, Dalek, Killer, and, you know, going to the local qu quarry and having DBC visual effects people who had nothing better to do blowing up Daleks and throwing them down hills. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, we had... That's a very small budget. I guess it was going to be about $20,000. But there was so much interest in, in joining in that people with suits and Daleks and costumes and TARDISes, they all wanted to be involved. And what we really boiled it down to, the ease of making Doctor Who is this. You just need a police box, not even an interior, as the BBC has shown us many times when they don't bother with the interior. A Doctor and a companion and something for them to play off. So... Mm -hmm. Doctor Who is one of the cheap, even though it has visual effects, which, as we know, are pretty easily cheated in some cases when you have your TARDIS materializing off screen and the sound effect on top. Doctor Who is actually incredibly cheap to make if you don't make it crazily expensive with, you know, Dalek Wars and stuff. So it's it still to this day, I, I, I often think back to those times when, you know, we realized just how cheap it was to make this thing. And that, you know, the BBC already had the stock sound effects, the music, the BBC had the Daleks and the costumes, and they just never looked at it that way. They just looked at it as an unnecessary expense to make this thing for a bunch of sci-fi fans. And the company that was a separate company at the BBC called BBC Worldwide, that was the one that released the videos, they were the ones who were calling for more Doctor Who. The actual organization, the BBC itself, was like, why have we got to make this stupid children's program? BBC Worldwide was saying... Scrooge McDuck's money is up to the ceiling. <laughs> and the two parts of the corporation could never really communicate and explain that to each other. Um, and as an aside, that was why when the, you know, the, uh, I think it was the 30th anniversary or the 40th anniversary, they were going to do that thing called the Dark Dimension and bring Tom Baker back. BBC Worldwide was pushing for that because they knew exactly how much money there was to be made. And it was BBC television who at the time were going to do the McGann thing with, with Steven Spielberg they were the ones pushing back saying no 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 you got to wait we got Steven Spielberg involved in this um, 
just an aside, totally off the thing. But again, it is, you know, uh, BBC Worldwide who, who's pushed for these beautiful reconstructions with the, with the animation. So it, it is frustrating again, because we all want to buy, we are the addicts, the heroin dealers don't want to give us the injection, you know? And the only way you really ever get it through to their thick skulls, I think, by talking about it and letting the fans know right in. Um, you know, make them listen to the podcast like this and make them realize that the more they make, as long as it's quality and well-written and well-meant, we will buy it in the thousands and hundreds of thousands. At the end of the day, at $20 a time, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's, yes, it is. Um, let's go ahead and bring this back towards the... Get back the on track. Do- <laughs> yes, uh, but, you know, this happens all the time on, on this show. Mostly uh, because gentlemen. of me. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I want to bring it back. We, we've we talked a little bit, I think, in our initial thoughts on, on this, um, about how uh, one of the things that worked so well with this, this official animated reconstruction of Power of the Daleks was the Daleks themselves. Um, what about uh, how that all was was portrayed and, and animated. Uh, what made that work for you guys? It, it, as far as the animation goes, or? yeah, the animation, the, everything with, with, for the reconstruction. Why why did the Daleks work for you, and and how well did they work for you in this reconstruction? Well, I, I guess it's just that they looked uh, exactly like like Daleks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess they were probably CGI, 3D CGI models. And everything was in proportion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's probably why. And obviously, with Daleks, you don't have to animate them very much. All you got to do is uh, animate their eye stalk, maybe their their uh, sucker hand, and you know, that's that's really all you have to worry about. Uh, whereas animating a human face can be much more challenging. But I guess it, it it just comes down to they very much looked like Daleks, and it's usually enough for me to accept them as being Daleks. Just they look like Daleks. They yell exterminate. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> no, they, they really looked good. I mean, there's no two ways around it. You know, you scan the original model. You can make as many as you like after that. There's that whole scene at the end of episode four, and you literally see, you know, 30 or 40 of them. They all look perfect. They look far better than having a bunch of clockwork models in a in a little model set. Um, no, I thought they looked fantastic. So you can show several Daleks going down a corridor, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I think in the, the original, I think there is some video footage of it. It shows these Daleks just turning around a corner. And really, it was the same three or four Daleks that were just going around in a small circle. And they just, that, that circle yeah. part of it was, was off screen. So it, it did that illusion of making it look like there's a dozen Daleks turning around this corridor when really it was the same four. You know, now they can actually show that. Daleks conquer and destroy. Daleks conquer and destroy. Yep, that one. <laughs> okay. Paul? For me, I thought that the movement especially added to the, the realism of it because it was very clear to me that they put a lot more effort into the Daleks. Uh, like they said, they did the 3d modeling and everything. Uh, they had the fluid movements, you know, uh, with the people, it felt like we were looking at a 2d model laid on top of a 3d background. Uh, at least that's how it felt for me. Um, it, I don't know if you've seen any of the, how it should have ended uh, videos on YouTube. Um, it felt like that same type of animation, although I'll be honest with you, a lot of the movement on the how it should have ended videos to me is more realistic than what we got in this. Um, but they, they take that and use 2D animation 
and then give the illusion of 3D by adding the, the shading and everything on top of it. But that's that's kind of how it felt to me. It felt like we were getting two different forms of animation um, in that the Daleks were done in one uh, particular format while the, the people were done in a different format. And, and so I think that is the reason why I appreciated the, the visuals of the Daleks so much more is because of the fact that it literally felt like that they were something you could almost reach out and touch. I I definitely think that they worked um, extremely well. I, I do recall um, a couple of shots where I appreciated some of the um, the oddities that you know take place on, on a classic Doctor Who set, where a couple of the Daleks are coming out of the spaceship, going down the ramp, and there's the uh, they sort of start going off the ramp edge, and then they fall down a little bit as the the ramp descends, and they you know in much the same way that they the prop on set would have, and uh, they behave like that in a couple of senses. But also, um, I think the the way that they they moved uh, normally when there wasn't something like that going on it was very fluid. I think it worked well. the The look was spot on, and the uh, the lighting of the the eye stalks was was very nice and helped. I think they were. I think in this storyline, the Daleks are probably more menacing um, in this animated form than the the props would have been on set. Uh, but the, I, I can't say that definitively because I haven't seen the original, uh, you know, the original broadcast. But I feel like some of the Daleks in this animated form were probably a little bit more menacing uh, than, than they would have been on set. But Let's go ahead and, and was I, we we've talked about it a little bit. Um, was there anything specific? Um, now we talked about some of the the human characters that um, that didn't work, but was there anything specific that animation wise you wish could have been changed or didn't quite work for you? Uh, was there a specific sequence? Was there a specific character? Was there uh, just the the general? We've, we've already talked about this a little bit, but I I wanted to know if there's anything more specific. Um, that you wanted to, to expand on. I, I kind of had something that I wanted to ask everybody's opinion on. Um, okay, because of the way that these classic episodes are put together, you know, there's a lot of quiet time in between a lot of the action stuff, you know. And so did did this kind of, because there was such a limited amount of movement to the, the digital actors in this, uh, did it kind of emphasize that empty space more to you than it would have if you had had the actual physical actors on set. Um, because it did for me. It kind of, it, it it made it more noticeable for me that there's really not a whole lot going on in this moment or that moment. Or, you know, it just felt stretched. It felt like you could have cut some of the emptiness out of the audio and, you know, probably cut an entire episode or maybe even two episodes out of the story and still had just as much story. Uh, if you follow I'm so what I mean. used to that um, way that uh, they did the old episodes with those gaps where basically you can hear the creaking of the Daleks move. And right. <laughs> I'm so used to that now that it didn't bother me. Um, it was like part and parcel of it. I do agree they could have cut some of it, but at the end of the day, you know, they're trying to present the episodes, I think, as they were originally. So, yeah. Uh, 
didn't well, bother me. The, it's just part and parcel of the, the way that those Doctor Who episodes were slow-paced. I think for me, the reason why it stands out more is because, you know, if you have the actual actor on set, they're kind of roaming around the set and putting their hands on different things and just kind of acting things out in those quiet times that don't really draw attention to the fact that it's one of those quiet times. And when you have the stiff, you know, kind of stoic, just kind of standing there character that doesn't do a lot of moving around the set and stuff, they're just kind of standing there looking at each other. You almost, in my opinion, you almost look at it and go, you know, this feels a little awkward, you know. If that, You're talking about with the animation, right? Yes, because they're, you know, because they're limiting how much movement these characters have. In uh, you know, yes, they'll have a little bit of you know head tilt or blinking or swaying back and forth or whatever, but you don't have that that actual actor walking around the set, you know, with the camera angles moving around and they're interacting with the things on the set and things like that. So to me, it just kind of accentuated the fact that there's not as much going on in those particular scenes because the, the characters in the animation are just kind of standing there staring at each other. Yeah, I, you know, I just think that's part and parcel of, you know, as I said, if you've been watching these old Doctor Who stories, as long as I have, you just, you're just totally used to it. I think today, with the fast-paced cutting nature of how things are edited today, it's really apparent but if you're an old fogey like me, then you just don't really know us. <laughs> and, and, and while and, and while definitely, um, you know, I've watched, I, I own quite a few of the the classic Doctor DVDs, and so I've watched a lot of these. And um, I, I, I do agree, it, it is part and parcel. It is definitely um, something that you know you get used to watching these these old episodes. But I will agree a little bit with Paul that I think the the animation in those those slower uh, areas didn't do much, and it, it would have been nice to maybe see the the digital actors, the, the animated actors, uh, you know, doing a doing a little bit more than just standing around. Whereas, you know, even occasionally, what we'll sometimes hear in the the sound mix um, that there's rustling and people moving around on the set, but the the animated characters are just still standing there, just shuffling. Uh, back and forth and not actually doing something. Um, it, it, it's like in the first episode. You know, they, they spend 10 minutes standing around the TARDIS console as the Doctor uh, kind of settles into his new body. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you could do in 30 seconds in uh, with a more modern take. I mean, maybe not 30 seconds, probably be longer than that. But it's like, it's like 15 minutes into the episode before the plot actually begins and Reagan kills the examiner. You know, mm-hmm. it, so literally half the episode... Almost nothing happens, and I well, think it would have been to kind of agree with you. It probably would be easier to watch if we had the original video. But then, if we had the original video, we wouldn't have an right. adaptation in the first place. So, well, the only the only thing for me, see, I'm used to watching the classic stuff too. Uh, I actually started watching with Tom Baker uh, back in the early '80s uh, when they were doing reruns uh, on but, PBS. Yeah, yes, on PBS. But um, the the thing for me was you you just lose something in that natural movement with those characters. You know, if it felt like to me that if you were seeing something done, uh, I guess you'd say like more in the, the Disney animation style or something where the characters are actually moving around and interacting with the, you know, the, uh, the sets and things like that. And, and you had action going on in those slow moments instead of just stillness it just felt like that you wouldn't have noticed the amount of time that went by because I'm used to seeing the time go by as well and it doesn't really affect me if there's action going on on the screen. Yeah. 
I can, I can understand that. Um, and, and I, I mentioned this earlier, um, but I'll, I'll bring it back around uh, because we're talking about this uh, more right now. Is uh, most of the the digital actor character models uh, worked it well enough for me? They were you know decent enough uh, representations of the actors on set, but there was one in particular that that definitely um, didn't quite work for me, and I, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but but Ben's character model didn't look quite right. Um, and and I know the actor has a very square jaw and all this stuff, but I, I feel like maybe his face was just too angular, too straight. Um, but it was it was something I noticed throughout the entire time I was watching it, and uh, particularly when he was looking a little bit off towards the side, it just it didn't seem quite right to me. And granted, I'm going to say it, I love this thing, and I, I would I'm totally appreciative and excited that they they went ahead and made this animated reconstruction here. But there, you know, to be a little critical, I, I will say that the the Ben character model didn't look quite right and didn't quite work for me. I don't know if anybody else had that issue. One of the things that I noticed is that his hair was always parted away from the, uh, the camera. Uh, so there was not... There was only one side uh, of the of the uh, character that was created, and then they just reversed it for when they turned their head the other way. It was the same way with all of the other characters as well. They're, they didn't have a separate left and right face model. It was one face model pointed one direction and then they just reversed it, flipped it to, sh- to show the face pointing the other way. Uh, so the, the hair was always parted on the opposite side uh, if they turned their head the other way. You know, I, I just noticed little things like that and um, that's I know it's a shortcut but that can also give you this odd feeling of how the character looks when they're moving around the set and stuff, you know. Thankfully, yeah. none of the characters had eye patches, so they didn't have to worry about having <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so it, 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 like I said, I don't know what, I, I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but, but Ben's character model, Ben's face model just didn't quite, quite work for me. And I'd, I can't put my finger on why, but yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think the three that worked the best were doing Trotton himself. I know they spend extra effort on that. I thought they did Polly very well, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they did Bragan well because um, I don't know if you noticed, but Bernard Archer, who who played Bragan, approximately ten years later, he was in the Tom Baker story Pyramid of Mars yes. as, as a Professor Scarman. You know, I bring Sutex, gift of death. That's my favorite Tom <laughs> Baker episode. Yeah, and we, we actually did an examining the doctor on that that story uh, at the beginning of the year. But uh, that so for me, it was easy to get into that modeling because I already recognized the actor. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it's 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 interesting because you know I've I've got other episodes with with Ben in it, you know, and and, and I don't I don't know what it is, but I just throughout the entire time watching it just it didn't seem quite right i was like who's that with polly oh yeah that's ben <laughs> um you know and, and it's it just bothered me that i couldn't put my finger on why it didn't work but you know i'll, I'll stop moaning and whining <laughs> about it now um uh, were there any other 
details that you guys you know wanted to, to talk about in, in this thing you know the, how things worked how things didn't work uh, well, I really like the console room I thought the console room looked fantastic oh, yeah. I liked and appreciated the little touches they put in like the Wayland Utani logo from Aliens on uh, one of the pieces of set it, it, wasn't it? it was the communicator in the uh, in the governor's office and I think those little <laughs> details are only in the black and white versions I didn't see them in the color versions uh, okay. But uh, if you look closely, yeah, there, there's that W logo. I think there's a, a communicator the doctor's fidgeting with in episode three that's got the uh, uh, the logo from uh, the Idiot's Lantern. Um, and also that sign on the wall that turns out to be a, a, a code for, for the meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in the black and white version, off in the corner, there's a, there's a post-it note that says Bad Wolf on it. <laughs> so they actually that. retroactively put in Bad Wolf into, wow. into the classic episode. Wow. Uh, as far as something that, that didn't really work for me, uh, some of the action scenes, like uh, using Ben as an example, he, he gets punched out in the, the uh, towards the end of the fourth episode, and it is even by animation standards, it's a terrible looking punch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're nitpicking this thing apart. Oh my goodness. Are, it, it sounds like we dislike it, but like I said at the beginning, I mean, we're <laughs> thankful that they did it. And hey, and VDC, if you're listening, and if, if you are, I'd be amazed. But you know, <laughs> we are giving you constructive criticism, so you can do things better in the hopeful future releases of, of other stories. Seth, let me ask you this Was it as bad as uh, the fight scenes in the Time Meddler? Oh, oh the, the sword fights in the Time Meddler? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you, have, have yeah, you seen I, that? I know, I, it's been a while since that's one of those stories I think I've only seen once because that's the one that brought in uh, the monk, um, yeah. who some people believe was an earlier incarnation of the master, but I don't think that was ever the case. That's that's uh, our theory. That's, that's, yeah. We're sticking to it. Yeah, where, where he, he was just mischievous. He wasn't, he wasn't necessarily evil. Right. But, uh, uh, so just going by memory, I'd probably say as bad just because it was animated. I mean, he, he takes a punch in the nose and falls forward. <laughs> I'm remember it right, but. I do re- now. I remember that. I remember thinking that was weird. Um, oh man! One thing I thought was weird uh, that I noticed this morning. I was watching some of the the color uh, version um, this morning, and the doctor's got his examiner button on his jacket before he leaves the TARDIS. In some shots, it it's the, it disappears. It's it's there and then gone. Um, in, in some of the shots, uh, when he's on the TARDIS, uh, before they, they go outside onto Vulcan. Sounds he's got like his they used the wrong button. model. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, just a little bit later in that, in the same first episode, uh, when they're, um, in the, the settlement there on Vulcan, uh, meeting with the, the governor and Bregan and everybody, Polly and Ben are wearing their orange, uh, the orange colony outfits uh, in one shot, and then they make the the comment that uh, oh, and, and get them some proper clothes. And they go back to they cut back to Ben and Polly who look at each other like you know proper clothes what? And they're wearing the original <laughs> clothes that they were wearing in the TARDIS again. Um, and I was just little details like that. I, what's I what's, didn't, what's I did that not glow, notice. Seth? Seth, what's that glow? Oh, oh, look! We've we've just had a Time Lord message cube delivered to us, <laughs> and apparently, oh, it's not just for Seth; it's for all of us. Oh, and it's oh. a message from the BBC, and it says over it. 
<laughs> I know, I know. It's unbelievable. The BBC sending us a time lord message cube. Thank you, BBC. Thank you. And uh, yes, oh, we're going to get over it. I think we're being too nitpicky, aren't we? I think we are. I, but I, I, we I should be on our hands and knees right now, saying to BBC, "Thank you, sir. Can we have another? Thank you, sir. Can we have another?" Right. There was one thing that I thought was kind of odd that I actually liked the fact that it was odd, and that was how Lesterson died. Um, because when they shoot him. He just kind of freezes and stands there like a mannequin, you know, and then he finally just falls over, you know. Yeah. And yeah, I like, thought like, that, like, that like was, he's a marionette that just, you know, that, that, that just uh, got put down, you know. And the phone rings. That's the BBC calling you, <laughs> saying you didn't listen, guys. <laughs> you didn't listen to our message cue. <laughs> you better watch oh, it because uh, the next, co- you know, the next time it's going to be just like a. a a guided warhead or something. They're not going to be so plight. No, I, I oh. like the way that that worked, though, because to me that almost came off as creepy and in, in, in how that kind of fit at the end there. Um, Mark, have you seen the color version or just the black and white version? I've just seen a little bit of it here, about 15 minutes of uh, part four, and I thought it looked really good. In fact, I probably would prefer watching that. I, I find it hard to watch the old Hartnell and Trayton episodes because I wasn't born at the time. I didn't see my first Hartnell episode until 1981 when they repeated them on BBC Two in England. And it's just hard for me to sit through those. And it's really hard, too, if you've read the novelizations, like I'd read The Tomb of the Cybermen many years before, um, obviously, they found it behind, you know, that locker in Hong Kong. <laughs> and... The version, you know, I saw it at that thing called Tomb Watch in London where the Doctor Who Appreciation Society got all of the cast together on stage and we all watched Tomb of the Cybermen for pretty much, you know, the first time most people had ever been able to watch it apart from a few people at the BBC when they were making the VHS videos. And it was nice. it was just heavy going, you know. It was like, my God, this is not what I saw in my head when I read the book. You know, I'd, I'd imagined Earthshock style Cybermen, and what I got was men in wetsuits with crazy handles on their, hel- on their helmets. <laughs> and, you know, Toberman, giant man with silver arms that looked like they were made for £5.50. So it was all a little dis. I, 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 I'm being totally honest, you know, I, I find it hard to go back and watch his old stuff. It does seem really creaky to me. I, okay. I appreciate it, but I would prefer seeing something. Like you said, cut cut down without all the uninteresting bits. Where you know you get these six episodes, or like the Dalek Master Plan twelve episodes, and you could just condense it down to four, and it, <laughs> right? And it you wouldn't right. take your entire life up watching it. Yeah. Yeah, that, has, that has Jason's favorite episode in it. Oh, don't don't go there. <laughs> he he keeps telling me that the Feast of Stephen is my favorite episode. That's their their Christmas episode that makes absolutely no sense. I would have of... given my spare teeth if I had them. <laughs> to see that thing where William Hartnell looked at the camera though and said "Happy Christmas, everyone." That would be—I mean, that would be amazing to watch that. Oh, <laughs> the the that was fine, but the rest of the episode, based on the yeah. the reconstruction we found, was just made no sense yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, <laughs> sometimes I wish there was a, kind of like a recycler where uh, uh, you know you you could like rid of one doctor doctor who story in exchange to get another one back you know where, where <laughs> we can you know get get rid of um uh what, what was what was the one where david Tennant carried the uh, the Olympic torch um 
Oh, uh, fear her. Is that what yeah, it's called? Me. Yeah, yeah. Put, just get rid of fear her, so we can get like evil of the Daleks back or something like that. And <laughs> time lash. <laughs> Should we get rid of time? Should we pull the lever on time lash? Yeah. I, that one. That one's not that great. But that's one of the greatest things ever. When they're climbing up that wall on pieces of polystyrene with bits of tinsel <laughs> coming out the end and trying to act like they're actually in a serious TV well, look, show. I will say this: the visuals didn't do a lot, a lot for me on that, but I kind of like the story, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. With a budget, that and you know many other things like Seth and I were discussing about Warriors of the Deep, the original script for Warriors of the Deep, the Peter Davison story, is epic and done with alien-like visuals and creatures that were more than a guy in a rent-a-ghost horse costume <laughs> would have been amazing. But when you have apocryphal stories from Janet Fielding about how, you know, the Merka walked on set and she fell on top of it and was covered in green paint because it wasn't ready, it was still wet from the night before. Oh, you know, it's just... Nice. And the sets are, are, are overlit like a BBC talk show or comedy sketch thing. And you can see... <laughs> You know, the, the actors look uncomfortable in their Thunderbird uniforms and <laughs> the models, you can see like the strings and, you know, it is it is amazing. Some of these, as I said, when you read the book of, of the Tomb of the Cybermen, it just becomes this epic thing. And I could visibly see while we were watching Tomb of the Cybermen in 1992, I think it was, you saw the shoulders of longtime Doctor Who fans just buckling under the weight. Their faces smiled, but... You know, they were like, oh, I can't believe I've waited all these years to see this, and it's kind of <laughs> not very good. Yeah, <laughs> like where Toberman is struggling with uh, with one of the Cybermen. <laughs> Toberman's struggling with, with, with the Cybermen, and they struggle off camera, and then five seconds later, Toberman comes back carrying this very obvious Cyberman dummy over his head so he can throw it across the room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and his head falls off! <laughs> Oh, I'm then, sorry we do then, real things, guys. Uh, oh, no, no. Let, let's get back on subject because I don't want another Time Lord cube coming through. Oh, I, right, right. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. So, for for everybody, uh, we, we've at least seen parts of, of this uh, in color now. Um, what is... Does that help you look at this differently? Is that... Um, how does I think that it looks better in color. I, I actually preferred watching it in color. Well, because you know, I watched obviously the theater version was just black and white, mm -hmm. uh, and I got the color versions when I sub subscribed on Amazon. So I, going back and watching them again, I actually preferred watching them in color. So uh, I hope in the future that they do do more color adaptions. Yeah, I'm with Seth. I liked it in color a lot more. To me, it felt less stiff in color than it did in black and white. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I I can see that. Um, I. I think there's a couple of things uh, in the animation that are hidden a little bit better in black and white, but I do think that the color really pops and really uh, does a better job of, of of drawing you in to the episodes. So yeah, I I haven't seen them all yet in color. I've I've seen you know um, bits and pieces of it in color. Um, and but it, also I, just just kind of a side thing, um, we anytime we get. Uh, Troughton or Hartnell in color, uh, I'm, I'm happy. Because mm -hmm. we didn't get Hartnell or Troughton in color until uh, The Three Doctors. Right. Right. And so it, it's really nice, and I'm glad that, you know, on the DVD and Blu-ray, I think they're giving us both versions. Um, the, the original black and white plus the color. Um, so it, I'm 
really pleased with the way that that turned out. I, uh, when I heard that they were doing that, I was like, oh, oh, this will be interesting. I wonder how that'll come off. And I think they, they pulled it off uh, rather well. So um, I, I'm, I'm all for them giving us both versions whenever they do this in the future, if they do this in the future. Do we know if they're planning to do more of these things? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's been any official word. I think they're waiting for the the DVD sales to come through. Oh, okay. Never wait, they count how many fifty pences they get, how many quarters. I got to add them all up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, everybody go out and buy the DVD and the Blu-ray. I'm thinking I want to get the Blu-ray in the in the tin collector's case. They're cool. doing a, a collector's case. They, I, the one I saw online was a collector's case. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. You probably find it. Somewhere out there, probably on. Amazon. I remember when they were saying <laughs> back in the it was back in the nineties when they did the Doctor Who VHSs, and there was this big hullabaloo about the uh, Trial of a Time Lord collector's case, and I was really excited, and it turned out to be a cardboard sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that's, that's such a life. <laughs> oh man. Okay, well, um, we finally got the. The first story of the second Doctor in moving pictures again. Um, do you think this animated reconstruction lived up to, um, I guess, the the hype of of what this uh, might have been? And do you think it did uh, did Power of the Daleks justice? Yeah, I'd always heard that this story was a bit of a slog, and I was pleasantly surprised by how good it was. That's coming from someone who's you know got. 30 years of little memories and little bits picked up from Doctor Who magazine and interviews and talking to people on stage like um, I I just wish uh, you know that a lot of the original cast were still with us that could watch it again because one of the great things I found about interviewing actors is that when you watch the source material it tends to jog their memory so much that they literally get cascades of waterfalls of memories at that point and that's what that Tomb of the Cybermen thing did. All those actors suddenly remembered things that they hadn't remembered for many, many years. I remember Fraser Hines, where you've, you've met Fraser a few times, right? I've interviewed him, yeah. yeah um, when they were doing the, re- the release... That's Jamie, uh, correct? Yes, yes, Jamie. Um, Chap with kilt. Yeah, but he, <laughs> uh, they, they were talking about the release of um, Web of Fear. And... He would get questions about that story because fans would ask him about the lost stories. And he's like, I, I don't really remember. I don't really remember. And then when they started watching, he was talking about how then all of a sudden, he's like, I remember everything about the, about doing the story now. Because it starts out with uh, Jamie with this, with this little box that the, that the doctor's fidgeting with. And, now, and all that came back to him about, uh, about the box. And so uh, it, it's... And unfortunately, in this case, uh, I think Annika Wills is the only the only part of the cast that's, that's still with us. So... Um, you know, she's she's the only person that would remember firsthand what the sets and stuff would uh, would have looked like. Paul, do you think do you think that they pulled this off? Do you think that this um, did Power of the Daleks justice? I think for a first time out, yeah. Um, now, would I like to see a little bit more put into a, the next one? Yes, I would, but. You know, that's going to also depend on whether or not they listen to feedback that they get from people that watch this and had some, you know, uh, uh, creative criticism to give, you know, not in a bad way, but just in a, you know, a helpful way, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, any time that I can see any kind of 
visual reconstruction of these missing episodes, it's it's a win for me. Um, I know that we had seen some uh, Japanese anime done of shots of the third Doctor with the Daleks and everything, just in a mm-hmm. U- YouTube yep. video. That was unbelievable. Yeah, and I, think I love that. That, that um, was mainly just just a fan production. Yeah, that was yeah. amazing. And I thought that that was something that really did justice to the the subject matter, you know. And so if we could see, like maybe something like what they did here with the Daleks in this, combined maybe with that something similar to the style that that was done in, I think that we could really see something fantastic, you know. Um, but I just I think that we're gonna have to show them that there's a demand for it you know people are going to have to pay for the dvds and the blu-rays and stuff to show them that we want more of this stuff to show them that they can put the money into this to make it worth their while whilst i completely agree with you i will say this they have got 50 years of paperwork to tell them that every time they release this stuff, <laughs> it sells in massive quantities. So I'm actually going to say that I'm completely sick of telling them. You know, they should know this stuff by now. Um, there's a huge demand for it, and it's only their own fault that they don't fulfill it. it i got to be brutally honest. Oh, no, here comes another Time Lord Cube. <laughs> Oh, oh boy. Ah, I'm gonna get shot, I think. <laughs> oh. I I'm oh, going to agree. I think I think this uh this animated reconstruction definitely did uh justice to this story. Um it it, it brought it to, you know, back to the visual medium. It's not going to be, you know it, it's not going to be a perfect reconstruction, and I know that um a lot of the, the staging and stuff I in the the behind the scenes thing that they had at the the theater screening, they were saying it's, um, you know, fifty percent based exactly on you know stills and stuff, and fifty percent their own action staging. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't a shot for shot complete recreation, uh, but it did it justice, and I think it did it well. And yes, we're quibbling and nitpicking about some things here, <laughs> um, but but we love at it. the end of the day, I I'm going to. I'm going to be purchasing this on the day it, re- it comes out. I will be adding it to my collection, and I will, you know, gobble up anything else they give me in this vein. I do agree. I hope that they make some improvements and changes if they continue to do these things. Um, but you know, I'm, I'll take what I can get, and this what I what I'm getting with this is is actually pretty good. So, so out of a hundred percent, zero being the least good, and a hundred being the most good. Where do you want to rate the overall animation? And let's add the let's add the whole caboodle. Where would you rate this out of a hundred percent? So animation and story. Anima- well, the whole caboodle. Let's say as an entire thing, the whole production. Where, where would you rate it? Where out of a hundred percent? Ooh, Paul, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> nice handover. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with uh, 78%. Okay. <laughs> that's, about, that's about where I was. I was going to say probably about 75. I mean, the animation, I would say, uh, you know, it's going to sound harsher than it's meant to, but I'd say like 50 to 60. But the story, you know, the story, the story is good, and it's just, I think what also gives it more weight is... It's a Doctor Who story that hasn't been seen in fifty years. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I'm at eighty-two percent. Well, we're all roughly around about there. How about all you, right, sir? so 
I'll, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and, and give it a an even eighty. I'll give it an even eighty percent. Um, the I like the story. Um, I do think it gets a little long winded at, at points, but overall, it's very good. Uh, the animation, uh, the Daleks, the uh, the sets. And the the backgrounds are all very excellent. Um, the the human characters are a little bit uh, are, are where the animation has the the issues. Um, and we've talked about that enough. I don't need to bring them up anymore. But uh, yeah, overall... like, like that dining room that's got the Zanfir flutes for uh, lights in the background. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, overall, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, I'm I'm a very happy Hoovian um, <laughs> watching watching Power of the Daleks. Uh, so using the old Doctor Who monthly two of five TARDISes, I remember they used to use during the 90s, that means we give it a solid four TARDISes out of five. Uh, yeah. yeah. Nice. I would definitely agree with that. Alright, is there anything else that you guys want to say on on this um, that we haven't addressed? Is there anything I'd like to say on air? Well, I'd like to say <laughs> right. supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> there, I said it. Perfect. There, that that works. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you that you want to talk about with this, um, Paul? Seth, I have Mark? something a little off topic. <laughs> Why not? One more. I know, I know I'm going to think of something after we go off the air, but uh... Mark, this is more addressed to you. Okay? Oh no! What have you addressed to me? Is uh, that a Time well, Lord. You're the one. That... Time Lord gift. <laughs> you're the one that brought up recasting, you know, and having live action uh, recast episodes and things like that. So yes, I'm going to ask your opinion on this. What is sure. your opinion on uh, them eventually talking Sean Pertwee into playing the Third Doctor in the place of his father? I having... am shocked and amazed oh. that you brought this up because literally <laughs> three minutes ago I was thinking about this very subject. <laughs> um, I have been a massive short Sean Pertwee fan now for many, many, many years. And I know he did it once for Halloween. And yes. I looked at that photograph and I almost <laughs> like fell over. It was unbelievable. So, yeah, I am. Look, I, I'm just ready for someone enterprising at the BBC to say, look, let's remake or, 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 or even just make extra John Pertwee's. You know, we've got Paul McGann, who, you know, let's face it, he's got to get them in the can in the next five or ten years while he's still relatively young. Right. Um, you know, one of the great things that I never got to see was in 1989, and it was called uh, The Ultimate Adventure. It was a stage play. You can look it up on YouTube. And uh, first of all, they started with John Pertwee, and then in the latter run, they went to Colin Baker. And, you know, one really cool thing happened one night, and it was a sad thing. Um, John Pertwee got sick. And the people in the audience got to see David Banks, who was the cyber leader in Earthshock and Five Doctors, and he was the understudy for the Doctor. And for that one night, we got to see a whole different Doctor. We got to see David Banks doing what kind of was a, a version of Eccleston, in a way. And I always thought, because it was never recorded, just how cool that those Doctor Who fans, those couple of hundred 300 400 people that were there that night they got to see something really incredible you know that, that nobody else will ever be able to see that and i i was big fan of david banks he was uh, always going to conventions and stuff and you know he he said he was so nervous and he you know he didn't know what to do he just got on stage and he did it but that that i think is special when you can look back in history and see well we nearly got brian blessed as the doctor we nearly got you know, all these different... Yeah, exactly. Brian Blessed, one of my favorite actors. Everything he's ever done has been gold, in my impression. But, yeah, 
no, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I know Sean would love to do it, and I would love to see it. So, I'm absolutely hundred. I'm, I'm five out of five Tardises behind that one. <laughs> there, there's so many ways you could do it. You could, you could give the third Doctor a one shot. Uh, you'd probably have to invent a new companion or something to that effect. Uh, or maybe you could even have it take place right before the ending of the Planet of the Spiders, where he had to go confront his fear, so to speak. Or mm-hmm. you, if you want to keep it modern because personally i think sean playing a third doctor and they use the all the old school style sets so it actually looks like it's from the, the early 70s they gotta be amazing or if you do want to make it modern have them do a crossover episode with capaldi i mean those, I, those yeah. two i think would play off each other quite well oh my gosh yeah. i would love to would see love that, that. <laughs> oh, I, I yeah. can see doctor who fans all over the world fainting <laughs> when you just said that it's like oh be still my beating heart <laughs> Uh, but, you know, much. again, this this stuff is, it, it, it sounds so dreamy and crazy, but it isn't. It's so, it, BBC, please hear our please. <laughs> Give us what we want because, you know, you're just raking the money in. I can just see this stuff, you know. It's yeah. it's hard enough today to, to make money with all the downloading and stuff. But, you know, when you release these things and you put extra things in the tins and special things like maybe every hundred tin has an autograph pack in it or yeah, there's so many ways to make money out of this. And, and, and with sci-fi fans, you know, I've been a sci-fi fan now for, you know, 39 years. And all I ever see is these companies saying why they can't do things. Yeah. Let's not hear that anymore. This is the year 2017 there's so much positivism in the air there's so many things that we can do geeks are back everybody wants to be a nerd everybody sees chris hardwick getting way too many tv shows (laughs) these are the years when anything is possible and all it is is just getting off your butt and doing it because as i said earlier we've all said we are ready with our money to put it into your satchel and then you'll have to bring in, you know, the, the FedEx truck and put, no, the Brinks truck and then put even more money into your truck. Um, I, I, I'm just so tired of, of hearing the reasons they can't do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to our other friends on the uh, uh, Bad Wolf radio podcast uh, on their last episode. And they were saying specifically on that episode that the BBC needed to treat Doctor Who the way that Disney is treating Star Wars. Um because there is a that kind of a demand for Doctor Who as well. Exactly, and, and also look at what Amazon did with, with you know the Grand Tour, which is basically Top Gear, but not called Top Gear. <laughs> they put a ton of money into it. Every single episode this season has been incredible. With a little bit of swearing, not even too much, they've really unleashed the show and completely copied how it used to be. It's funny, it's old school, it's got many millions of viewers and the BBC is now looking like the schmucks they are because they let something truly (laughs) incredible go, tried to continue it on with other people and completely failed and that's in a way what I continually think with Doctor Who, you know, it's like they brought it back and that was the first step, like a baby but sometimes they fall on their face because they're like, well we've got to replace Capaldi because the young fans who spend all the money they don't like him, they want someone young like Matt Smith, they continually fall on, you know, they continually make mistakes and it's just like sometimes you want to put your hand out to them and say, look, it's okay guys trust, trust yourself, trust <laughs> trust what you know because you make good quality TV show and you give us good merchandise and you will make all the money that you could ever hope to make but they, you know, by taking it off the air for the year, they gutted 
the Ford movement that they were making all over the world as more and more mm-hmm. countries were interested in it. And it's just, uh, it's that lack of faith that Disney had too with Star Wars about, well, we need to chop and change this and edit this and take this. And that's that lack of belief in the core property, which is Doctor Who, which is just the TARDIS going through outer space, meeting people with a guy who can every five years regenerate. It's such a simple concept, but there's nothing in the world like it. And yeah. BBC, hope you get my message cube on that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, um, I want to give you guys an opportunity to, to plug your, your, your podcast one more time. Give everybody listening here the ways they can get in contact with you, listen to your, your show, and um, all that, that fun goodness. Well, well, the easiest way is geekvilleradio.com. That's the URL. Uh, all the shows, uh, the Geekville proper uh, examining the doctor we also have a horror themed podcast called uh, called examining the dead uh, all of those shows are posted on geekvilleradio.com the facebook is geekville radio the twitter is also geekville radio it's all all kind of under that brand and if you post anything on on any of those uh, the, you know the comment sections on geekvilleradio.com or the facebook or the twitter uh, i i will see it um i do have I'm transitioning into uh, other emails, but right now my podcast email is Seth at a1-wrestling.com because Geek Fuel was kind of born out of the a1-wrestling.com podcast, which is, of course, about the pro wrestling world. And it just kind of, we're, we're a sister podcast to, to A1. So th- my email is Seth at a1-wrestling.com. But if you post anything on the Geek Fuel Radio social media or the geekfuelradio.com page, I'll see it and I will respond and uh, be thankful for whatever feedback you may have. And you can't have my email because then you'll send the BBC around and I don't want to see them. <laughs> but you can read my musings at thepropstop.wordpress.com. And that's a website where I look at different movie props and costumes from not only Doctor Who, but Star Trek and movies. And as a costume and wardrobe collector, uh, there's over 600 articles there for you to read and peruse. We are on Facebook as well, uh, The Prop Stop. And we update that one daily because it's very easy with Facebook to do that. And uh, the same thing, we, uh, we uh, have about a thousand people on Facebook, which I don't think is too bad, who, who get the regular updates on there. And uh, may I say it's been a pleasure chatting with you folks today. And uh, I hope that you have a safe and uh, very nice week of not getting emails or message cubes from the BBC. <laughs> I, I hope so, too. Um, <laughs> Um, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, the contact information is, of course, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. The Twitter is at Talking Time Lord because Talking Time Lords was just one letter too long. Um, or you can email us at talkingtimelords at gmail.com. The uh, website, of course, is talkingtimelords.com. Uh, Paul, is there anything else you want to get out there before we, we wrap up this very special episode? Just looking forward to our next master episode. Yes, we've been doing Master Story reviews, and we're smack dab in the middle of John Pertwee and Roger Delgado. So, yeah, Ro- Roger, I think, in the end, is always going to be my favorite Master. I mean, no disrespect to the other ones, but uh, he he just had that delectably, de- uh, what is it, delectably evil quality to him, if that's even a word. Oh, yes. Uh, it is now. <laughs> All right, well... 
Uh, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode number 60 of Talking Time Lords, The Power of the Daleks, official reconstructions. For the gentlemen in examining the Doctor, Seth and Mark, and for Paul, I'm Jason. And remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, everybody. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. 